hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. Hope you've had a great week. Now, you know, sometimes when I talk about Get Off The Bench, I say, you know, it's about doing your thing and it could be a personal goal or it could be a community project or it could be a side hustle. And sometimes people want to do, when I talk about community projects, some people want to set up a not-for-profit. And admittedly, when I set up One Planet Classrooms, I set it up as a business because I had no bloody clue about how to set up a not-for-profit. Anyway, so I set it up as a business and then as I went on, you know, I ended up with some money in my bank at tax time. I thought, oh, holy dooly, I don't want to pay tax on this. So um, I I, I worked out how to set up a not-for-profit. But, um, you know, it's not that hard, although I would say... um, don't be setting up a not-for-profit if there's somebody already doing exactly the same thing, you could join them. But if you you see a problem that uh, you think you could make a difference, you, you actually can do it. So my next, my guest today is, and probably what I'm saying isn't making sense because I've got my guest in my head and you, you haven't yet, but this one guest today is Wendy O'Brien and she founded Heartprint Cambodia and uh, you know she, she's just such an inspiration and just proves to you that just by putting one foot in front of the other you can actually build a really amazing organization that changes lives so let me tell you about her. So originally from Melbourne in Victoria the year 2000 saw Wendy and her family pack up their lives and move to the Gold Coast. They opened a family cafe in Surface Paradise and their children finished their schooling but after years of seven days a week in a business and we can well imagine that Wendy and her husband Gary decided they'd had enough of cafe life and they went and got normal jobs or whatever you call a normal job. But Wendy took a job with the local basketball association and before long they grew to one of the largest associations in Queensland. In 2010 they took their first international junior teams to compete in Indonesia and Wendy's love of travel blossomed. Well, she was hooked. So in 2011 they went on a trip to Thailand but ended up with a detour to Cambodia to see Angkor Wat. Never before visiting Cambodia, they noticed how cheap five-star hotels were and decided to treat themselves. And who, who wouldn't do that? But, and it was not something that they were accustomed to. However, little did they know this trip would change their lives forever. Coming face-to-face with the poverty in the marketplace, they knew the luxury and guilt of five-star was definitely not for them. They vowed in that moment to come back and do something to help. So passing through Cambodia again in 2012 on the way to Vietnam, the kids also fell in love with the country and with the people. And in 2013, so the year later, so we're looking like we're doing a yearly thing here. In 2013, they returned hoping to set up a basketball tournament, but went home realising the people needed a whole lot more than just basketball. And in April 2014, the year later, this is great. They built a house for a family and then took a group of friends back in November to build a second house. 
Gary had previous building experience and through the already existing tour company, they were able to bring people to build houses. That was the start of the change in their lives and what a massive change. You wait, guys, wait till you hear the rest of this. But by 2015, which is the next year, they registered the charity Heartprint and by then they were travelling to Cambodia every few months and staying for weeks or months at a time. And by April 2016, Wendy and Gary moved to Cambodia permanently. Wow, that's massive. So in, in the, only in the last four to five years, they have built 64 houses, 53 toilets and installed 27 wells, as well as employing six full-time Khmer staff. And they have distributed 199 bikes and they sponsored 26 kids to go to an English school with one just about to start university. Wow. Like just simply just from a basketball tournament to now have a look at this. Wow. I love this. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I always say that's an absolute pleasure because it truly is. I get to interview some of the most incredible people on this planet. And I just, I know you're not going to put yourself in that, um, in that category, but you should because, um, wow, you know, you, you're changing lives just bam, bam, bam. It's, it's wonderful. You can talk now. You know, doing, <laughs> you know, doing what I do, I get to also meet so many incredible people. So I know exactly where you're coming from. Oh, I get that. Isn't it great? You know, and I think that's the thing, you know, isn't it? When you're doing good and you're trying to bring good and your intent is to, you know, unite the world or to build a better place. I think you just naturally, you know, uh, end up in a basket with bloody good people. It's true. Good spreads good. <laughs> absolutely does it does it? yeah i know i agree that and i think it doubles you know one and one make two and then you know then then you add you've got two and you add an next one but it just seems to double to four you know it just it's just incredible how it how it builds and builds and builds and expands um when good people start working together i love it it's how we got to 64 houses yeah, I know, because you, cause you take a lot of, we'll talk about this in the interview, but you, you take a lot of um, good-hearted, you know, good-intentioned people over there and doing that stuff. I, I can't wait to hear about it. Let's unpack it. So, um, but before we get into all the Cambodia stuff, because, um, you, you know, as soon as I saw you on Instagram, I tell you, what, I just fell in love, you know. I, I'm like, oh, my God, I love this. I lo And this is, I'm not just exaggerating. And the way I talk, by the way, you've never met me, Wendy, but I do this all no. the time. I'm like overboard because I get so bloody excited and I start to spit. So it's lucky we're just through a podcast. <laughs> through a <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's okay. I'm a little overboard too. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I truly mean it because, you know, I just, um, I, I'm so excited about good people doing good things. Anyway, I've said that a hundred times. But um, be, before we get into the Cambodia stuff, tell us about you had a, you know, like you moved from Melbourne and then up to uh, Surface Paradise and you had a cafe and, um, you know, to just tell us from there, like, you know, why did you buy the cafe? You go to a Surface Paradise, surely you'd buy a surfing school or something. <laughs> Mostly because I think I might be insane, <laughs> but, but it just seemed like a good opportunity. So um, my mum is an amazing cook, by the way, and um, I had worked in for Italians at Victoria Market, actually, in a little cafe there, which is still running, and they are the most awesome people. 
we wow. um, we decided we wanted to move to Queensland because we wanted something different for our kids. I didn't want them to grow up the way I had grown up, and I'll get into that um, a little bit more detail later. And I wanted them to have a life where they were free and they had every opportunity that I could give them. Mm. And so when we got to surface, we actually had no idea what we were going to do, honestly. We, we kind of had some ideas, but we thought, we started looking through the local papers and we found a cafe that was for sale and it was a bargain. And so we said, you know what, let's buy a cafe. So <laughs> crazy that we are, and my husband is just as insane as I am. <laughs> we, we bought a cafe, but we obviously had some idea of what we were doing because we had worked in that industry before, but we had no idea that it would be seven days a week and it would be so full on. Mm. Uh, although we were right across the road from the beach, which meant our kids got to go to the beach every single day. Mm. We met some amazing people. So they could just walk across to the beach every day. The lifeguards would take care of them. They swam in the beach. They came back. They ate. They went back to the beach. Oh. You know, so our kids grew up with this amazing life mm. and they really did live their life and they still do. But seven days a week for Gary and I, that was just huge. So, and we did that, I think, maybe for four years um, mm. until we moved from there. And then we did start doing six days a week at one stage. But even when you have staff running a cafe, for those that have ever had a cafe, you know that that means you're still on call seven days a week. Yeah. So, yeah, it was exhausting, honestly. Um, and it wasn't the life that we had moved there to have. Yeah. And so although we met these amazing people and we did have this great lifestyle, it's still you could never even take your kids on a holiday for the weekend. Yeah, and yeah. our kids got to the age where they wanted to play sport and they wanted to do stuff. And that meant one of us would have to go off on a weekend. And how about if they wanted to do two different sports, how would we work that? So it just became, yeah, a little bit too much, honestly. <laughs> but how old are your kids now? Uh, our son is 20. Oh, I better get this right, Ben and I. Our <laughs> son is 28 and our daughter has just turned 27. Okay, so they were teenagers when you moved up there? No, no, they they were, yeah, they were still little. Um, Our daughter was in grade one and our son in grade two. So that's why we made the move then because we we wanted it to be an easy transition, I guess. We knew if they got older, it would be hard. Yeah, it's always hard to move kids. Well, it's hard to Mm. move kids at any age, isn't it, really? It is, um, yeah. I suppose once they start getting their teenage uh, friends, you know, it's impossible to move them. So, um, and then you, you ended up getting a job in a, you, you played basketball, you know, all your life and the kids were playing basketball. So you ended up getting a job in a basketball association. And, um, so how did that end up becoming, um, you know, big and, you know, that you, you took it overseas and all that sort of stuff? So when I first started at the association, so just quietly, don't tell anyone this, but I actually applied for this job and I wasn't really qualified to do it. I didn't. Ha- I don't have a uni degree or anything, but I was like, I think I can do this and I really love basketball. So why can't I make it good? So oh, I applied for good. this. I applied for this job. I went for the job interview and I didn't get it. And I, I was kind of devastated, but I was kind of like, okay, there'll be something else. And then two weeks later, they called me and said, the guy that we employed didn't work out. Would you like the job? Wow. And I said, 
for sure. Why not? So I got there on the first day and it was only me. So there was no one else working. And so I, um, I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. So I opened the computer and I acted all confident, like I knew what I was doing. And I kind of just made it up as I went along. Um, and then from there, I got into it, obviously, and I'm really passionate about it. So I started creating new um, new tournaments and new um, teams for people to play in and new competitions. We didn't have any senior competitions or anything. So I started creating that and then we just grew from there. And as we grew, they actually put a CEO on board and they told me that I wouldn't be able to have that position because I didn't have the university degree that you needed for that. And so honestly, I left. I said, well, you know, I value myself more than that. And I left. And then about six months later, the new CEO called me and said, do you think you could come in just for a couple of days and show me the ropes and show me what you were doing? And I was like, yeah, okay. I didn't want to let anyone down. And so I went in and I went over all of that with him and in the two days he convinced me to stay. And so then I worked for them for, I think, three or four more years. And during that is when we started to run the international stuff. Wow. There's a couple couple of things I want to say there, you know, it's funny because um, women, you know, when you go for jobs, like men, if they've only got 60% of the criteria, you know, they put it in anyway and, and quite cockily mm-hmm. go, go and say, yeah, yeah, I can do it. And women usually don't put it in unless they've got 95% or more, you know, so to hear you say, I wasn't qualified, but I did it anyway. I, lo- <laughs> I love that. I, abs- I wanted to do <laughs> it. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I went for a job once as a, um, they wanted a manager of a, a place, wanted a manager of a um, woodwork place for people with disabilities. And I put in my application and I said, I- I've never done this before. So they rang me up and they said, um, you've said in your application, you've never done it before. I'm like, yeah. Well, why would you apply? And I said, why not? (laughs) I want to do it. (laughs) So I ended up in charge of a um, a, a mowing crew and, you know, so one thing leads to another. I reckon it's great to throw you out in the ring anyway. But (laughs) so that's. What's really, what's the worst thing that can happen? You don't get the job. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then they'll talk about you, and then someone will say, "Wow, good honour, good honour for doing that." So yeah, who who cares? I, I reckon the same. Just throw your hat in the bloody ring. So you went to, yeah. so you took the tournament to um, Indonesia first. We did, yes. Yeah. So we, um, what happened was the DBL in Indonesia, which is like a a big major news corporation they sponsor these teams and make a national team out of it, junior team. And so they invited us over to play in this tournament. And I knew nothing about it, honestly, but the CEO that I was working with, he'd taken a team from another association and told me how great it was and that the kids got to play in front of 5,000 people at the main game. I know, 5,000 people. So it was just if... If you can give a kid that opportunity, why wouldn't you? Once again, yeah. it was like, yeah, I've never done this before, but I'm sure I can work it out. <laughs> so, so I learned a lot in that first year. Yeah. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, but that, that's the whole thing, isn't it? You know, begin messy and who cares? It always, it always yeah. you know what, you always sort it out. You really do. And it's just, it's, it's better to be messy than to be, um, you know, regretting 
that you never never took the chance. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And so that made you fall in love with uh, travel. Had you not travelled before that or...? I had, but it was before we had the kids. So I hadn't travelled for 17 years. I think our daughter was 17. She came on that first trip. So, um, yeah, I hadn't travelled for more than 17 years. Wow. Yeah, maybe 19, 20 years. So I think the last time I travelled was our honeymoon. So, yeah, we're coming up to 30 years anniversary this year, next year. So, thanks. So, so, yeah, so it would have been that long. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's because we're both insane. Yeah. I was going to say, what do you got in common? I was going to say Cambodia, but it must be just the insane bit. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, uh, um, yeah, so well, 17 years, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm even looking at COVID now thinking, oh, my God, how long before we can travel again? And it's oh. a, if you're a traveller, it's a bloody awful thing, but... Um, but anyway, you got the bug, so you know you got it, and um, so the next it's year, true. I I know because I'm looking at all your like <laughs> every single year, and then starting into the months and God knows what. But um, you, so then you went to uh, Thailand, but the, uh, you decided to go to Cambodia. What what was it that made you? Because now you're in Cambodia, and now you're doing incredible stuff, but. What was it that made you, because, you know, like when I talked about, you know, you employing Khmer people, uh, you know, a lot of us that are older, you know, over 40, say, have got got a good memory of the Khmer, Khmer Rouge, you know, and yeah. the, the horrible uh, stuff that they did in Cambodia. And a lot of people are probably still um, got a bit of a negative bias towards Cambodia, and I don't mean towards the people, mm-hmm. but a bit of a fear, Do you, you know, mm-hmm. that Cambodia... So what what made you say, well, we're going to Thailand, but I think we'll just nick down to Cambodia. What what was that about? Well, it actually was my husband. So we had these few free days in Thailand and we're not really people that sit around the hotel. And so we were like, okay, what can we do? We've got three days, maybe it was four, anyway, three or four days and let's do something. So he started doing some research and he was like, do you know we could just go to Cambodia and they've got these amazing temples? And so he started showing me photos. I was like, yeah, we have to wow. do that. Yeah. So we decided that we would jump on a train from Bangkok and get to the Cambodian border. And then when we got to the border, it was seriously like, you know, this wasn't even that long ago, but it was like something out of a Western movie. <laughs> so there was dirt roads and casinos, you know, these dodgy casinos and people pulling these wooden carts across the border and just kind of people everywhere you know carrying chickens and just this whole thing that you've just it was just this amazing adventure I guess so that that was a really good start to Cambodia Mm. so if you you know first impressions mean a lot so when you can imagine like we walk across this border and then we have no way of getting to Siam Reap from there and it's like a four-hour drive so we're like okay what can we do and then some little Cambodian guy just comes and says you need a driver and we're like, yeah, we do. So it's actually, they're not allowed to do that. But if they can find someone to take a trip back, they will try their best to do that. Mm-hmm. So we jumped in his car and we drove to Siam Reap. And we kept him for the whole time we were here because he was just so lovely. So he drove us around basically. Oh, that's good and for him. Yeah. Yeah. Stayed at a five-star hotel and drove around <laughs> in a fancy car. Probably the worst thing I ever did. <laughs> but it's still, look what it led to. 
It's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It did lead to the change that made us what we are today, I guess. Yeah. And you, you, um, so, I, you know, you were saying about staying in a five-star hotel and, and I agree, mm. you know, who wouldn't? Because, like, you mm. know, they're very expensive. For, well, for those of us just earning a normal wage, you know, we, we think of five-star hotels is like it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you do. But if you can go to Cambodia and it's like, you know, a tenth of the price and, wow, of course mm. you're going to try it. But, you know, then you're, you're, you're saying in your, your intro, you, you know, that you went down to the market and saw the truth, which is quite often mm. the case in a lot of these, the poorer countries, you know, that you, um, you know, the touristy side, there's a, there's a big other side hidden around mm-hmm. the bat, around the corner. And it was just good that you went and saw that. So how did you feel when you went into the marketplace? Well, something that not many people know is I grew up in Broadmeadows. And for those that are from Australia or yeah. from Melbourne particularly, you'll know that that's a pretty low socioeconomic yeah. area. It's, um, you know, my parents were migrants. They came from England. And so they didn't have a lot of money. It, all the money they had, they spent to get my brother and two sisters and themselves on the boat. So mm-hmm. I was born after that. Um, yeah. So I grew up with a lot of people with not a lot of money. And I never thought that I had much. But when I walked in that market, I realised just how privileged I was. Mm. I realised that my life was, what was I complaining about? Like, sorry, I get a little emotional when I talk about this. Um, So I realised that I had so much more and my whole life I had been complaining about where I grew up and what I had to put up with and, you know, so, yeah, it was a bit of a kick up the bum, a bit of a reality check that, wow. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, none of these people were complaining about their situation. Like everyone was so generous. Like they were giving us fruit to try. One lady gave me flowers, like just for mm. no reason. And it was really, really obvious they were poor. Like I'm not talking stalls in a market. I'm talking a little basket on the ground mm. that they were selling maybe 10 oranges out of. or mm. And there's just rubbish everywhere, dirty water everywhere, and they were sitting amongst it. You know, kids running around with snotty noses and mm. it just, yeah, it broke my heart. Mm. And still does by the sound of it. It does, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's true. It's horrible, isn't it? Like it's just such an injustice that um, there can be such a gap between, and, and I won't even say the wealthy, just just us, you know, just just yeah. average people and and the, the poor people of the world, and that and still even those people you're talking about are still not even the poorest in the world, you know. So if you look at the gap between the absolute poorest and the absolute wealthy, it's just it is an injustice, you know. It's it is. almost criminal that it's. Um, mm. And you can't help everyone. And that's the other thing. I, I think that's, and you will have, um, you know, the work I do in Africa and, you know, the work you're doing there is that you you go through stages where you want to help everyone or not stages, but you go through, mm-hmm. you get down, you get really down like, you know, I just want to help more people. And then you have to, you get hit that hard reality that you just can't. And it, it makes you feel it makes you feel like a failure in some ways. But, you know, I always, always go back to what Mother Teresa said, she, you know, if you can't feed 100, just feed one, mm-hmm. you know, and 
that that's the principle you have to keep applying every day and but you've you've fed more than one and <laughs> I think you've done, you've, <laughs> I you've, hope done so. <laughs> you've done pretty well and then um so when you um you said that you will never stay in a five-star hotel again and you vowed to come back well what were you thinking then in your mind I kind of broke that rule, I have to just quietly say. Well, it was four star and it was just yesterday. Oh, was it? <laughs> but, uh. but, um, but, yeah, it, it is very different, but I also view it very differently now. I have a very different view of what I had when we first started to what I yeah. have now. And I realise that even those five-star hotels are employing people that need that work and COVID mm. can't kind of I guess has helped with that yeah. yeah help clear up that a little bit for me yeah you, you, you can't yeah I know what you're saying and you can't um you, you know I remember a friend of ours came over from Africa and, and she said you guys don't know what you've got you don't you know you've got running water and you've you know mm. you can just have food wherever and and I felt quite guilty, but the more I've sort of um, consolidated that, it's like, but we 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 live in a, this is how we live. Like we can't mm-hmm. just live in a shack just because you do. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, right. but we just simply can't, you know. And and what benefit would it be anyway? Do do you know if we did that? So I think you've got to look at it as relative to where you live, and it's I think it's about your. I think it's about your compassion and your generosity and your willingness to help others. You know, I think that's what makes different world. Not not so much what roof you've got over your head, but but that's exactly right. So you know, when you said right, that's it. I vowed to make a difference. Were you thinking about um, building houses, or were you thinking about sending over money, or like what 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 were your initial plans when you thought about this? I had no idea. I had no idea. I just knew that we wanted to do something and when we walked out of that market we both said to each other wow we need to do something what what do we do and so it was just like okay we went back and we started researching places we could help or do or we just didn't really feel that comfortable with that Mm. and then just by talking to somebody else I found out that they knew someone that was here working yeah. So um, kind of came over through them and then, yeah, just started out on our own basically. Yeah. And, and what, just decided to build a house? Well, well, originally we thought we would run a basketball tournament or something. And, you know, maybe we could like put some cash injection into stuff by doing yeah. that, you know, if we, if we brought some people over. But then we realised when we came here on a recon mission that hey, that's just dumb. Like who needs basketball when you don't have a house to live in or you don't have food on your table? Mm. So um, so we actually came over with someone else the first time and built a house with them through a different organisation. And yeah. it got a little messy and but we kind of worked from there that, you know, we could probably do this a little different ourselves yeah. and Gary having building experience really helped with that too. That's fantastic, and it's um and the, and the, 
you're, you're right. And how quickly you build a house in about four hours or something, don't you? No, four days. Oh, four days. Four oh, oh, but that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, well that, that puts my mind to rest. I've been thinking for the last few days. How the hell do you do that? For I thought, well, I suppose you could. I build paddock shelters in a few hours, so maybe you know it's the same principle. You, but <laughs> we have we have built a house in. We did do four houses in four days. But oh, that, that was a push, be. yeah, and yeah. and we don't really like to do that. So we we can realistically build in two days, but four days, really four to six days, is a lot more ideal, especially with the conditions here. Yeah, but that's um that's quick, isn't it? I mean, and they're it is not, quick. They're not flash houses, but um, no, they're not. It doesn't. That doesn't matter. They're they're warm and they you know protected from the weather and it's yeah. somewhere to call home and yeah, that's fantastic. It's... Four days, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, you can make so much difference to someone's life in four days. That's pretty crazy when you think about it like that, isn't it? Yeah, that's insane. And how yeah. much does it cost to build one house? Uh sixteen hundred US dollars. So we're talking US because we deal in US here. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's not a lot of money. No, that's only about. Well, I think it's about two two or two three in Australian yeah, dollars. Yeah, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that would so, be right. Yeah, yeah. Gee, that's that's cheap, isn't it? Really, to build a whole house for someone. And for that, it's like it's up on two-metre concrete stilts and it's built with steel and then tin. So it lasts. we estimate that the houses should last at least 20 years. And 20 years is long enough to get you on your feet. Yeah, yeah. And then we have a... Yeah, it is. We have this pretty amazing sponsor that sponsors the concrete slab for under every house. So if we build a house, he matches it and puts a slab in. And that then doubles their living space and it also mm. is a lot cleaner and stuff as well. That's great, isn't it? Mm, yeah. We have some amazing people out there. Yeah. And that, well, that's what you've got to do, isn't it? When you, you can't do it alone, you know, and it's, it's, nah, it's just a matter of having the right people that, are, that, that, can, that can share your vision, you know, and move ahead with it. Mm. And I think that's, that's, that's wonderful. When you were... Um, you know, like you, you did another trip, like the second year you went to um, Vietnam and you couldn't help yourself. You had to go pass through Cambodia again, you know. <laughs> we, it's true. We, <laughs> <laughs> did you meet any um, specific people, you know, or, or specific families that, that really sort of touched you and, and made it more personal, you know, made, made your commitment to do something, even if you didn't know what it was then, Um that, that you sort of just connected with them and thought, I've got to do it even for them, like it was their story that pulled you a little bit closer mm. to it? I Honestly, I think it was everyone's story. Everyone we spoke to had their own story. Yeah. And I have this thing that people's stories should be told mm. and people's stories should be respected. So the first year that we came to Cambodia, we only came to see our so the reason on our second trip we came back to Cambodia is I wanted to go to Phnom Penh because Phnom Penh holds a lot of the history and yeah. we knew a lot of the history because my husband grew up in Richmond. So he grew up with a lot of Vietnamese, Cambodians that all came as refugees. Yeah. So he, he was really connected and we wanted to go to Phnom Penh but we also wanted to bring our kids here. So we wanted to bring our kids so that they could see and feel what we did so they understood it. Yeah. And and so when we came to Phnom Penh, we actually came at um, Khmer New Year yeah. and we did an ATV tour. And Khmer New Year is this great big 
really happy festival time of the year that you spend with family. And now knowing that what I know, I would never come on to my new year because I feel like I'm robbing you of that time with your family. But I didn't know that at the time. So we booked this ATV tour and it was on pretty much New Year's Day. They celebrate for three days, but there's one main day. And, you know, they never said no. Mm. So they took us on this ATV tour and the streets were so full and every village you went through, they would give you a can of beer or just thing to celebrate. And so every village we passed through, we would, you know, be given something. And then the roads got so bad that we couldn't continue the tour. So he's, the guide said to us, would you like to just go to the local pagoda And a pagoda, for those that don't know, is kind of like a church, I guess, but a Buddhist church. So would you like to go there and just wait for a little while while the road clears a bit? So we walk into this pagoda and there's my husband and I and our two kids and my um, son's, which is now his fiancée, with us. And we go into this pagoda and we're full of dust and stuff and... There's all people there sharing their food with the monks Mm. and they invite us to join them to have a meal with them. Mm. So, you know, we know that this is a poor country and we know that um, they don't have much. And honestly, we probably didn't want to eat the food. But how Mm. do you say no? You know, it's maybe all they have. So our poor daughter-in-law, she doesn't eat meat. So we said, oh, that would be lovely, you know. So we sit down to eat and she's not eating. And they say, oh, is there something wrong? And I said, oh, she she doesn't eat meat. And they said, oh, no problem. And they started picking the meat out of her food oh, and gave it back to her <laughs> with their fingers. And so I said, well, you have to eat it now. She's like, I can't. I was like, just eat it. So so she learned very quickly, this is what we have to do. So, so I guess the... <laughs> Um, after that, we said, look, we don't even need to do the whole tour. You know, you can just take us back now. We understood more, you know, what this was about. And they said, no, we want to take you back to our house. So they took us back to their house and we joined in their family celebrations with them for the wow. rest of the day. So, you know, this this is just one thing I'm talking about that's happened mm. here. This This has happened many, many times for us now with people just being so generous, giving us their last of something or, you know, something we know that they don't have. So, yeah, I Mm. guess when you're talking about, like, who touched our hearts, yeah, Yeah, I have to say everyone because I can't just pick one person out. Yeah, wow. Well, they sound like amazing, a beautiful, beautiful race, beautiful race of people. They most definitely are. Wow. And any kids involved like you said they fell in love with it and you know maybe not maybe not having fingers picking out meat but um you know are they (laughs) are they are they involved with heart print they are yeah so both of our both of our kids and my um daughter-in-law I call her my daughter-in-law because the same thing to me yeah um are all are all board members of heart print yeah our son runs our website and a lot of our social media stuff yeah and our daughter runs our Heart of Gold Club. Do you know what our Heart of Gold Club no, is? No, no, haven't heard okay. of that. 
So we have a Heart of Gold Club and it's like our monthly running cost club, I guess you would say. So people donate 15 US dollars a month yeah. at a minimum. A lot of our donors donate more, honestly. Yeah. Um, but they donate and that helps us pay things like the rent if we don't have enough money that month. It helps us top up the staff salaries if we need to. Yeah. Um, it buys baby baskets for people that are expecting babies that don't have anything, pays mm -hmm. medical costs. It just does absolutely everything. Care packages, sponsors our kids that go to the English school. Um, so, yeah, so basically she's in charge of that and she runs that for us. Oh, so, yeah, she's, she, they're very involved. Are they in Australia or are they in Cambodia? No, they are in Australia as well. So it's only Gary yeah. and I. And then we have um, other board members as well back yeah. in Australia that do amazing things for us as well. We can't forget them. <laughs> no, no. No, you, and your board's really important, isn't it? It's got to be and working. It's true. Do your kids come over and, you know, regularly to see you or to yeah. do something? <laughs> to build the house yes, in, four, yes. in four hours? No. <laughs> <laughs> so they've both built houses here. So yeah. I think that's one of our things that if you're on our board, you have to come to build a house. You have to experience it. You have to know what we're doing. You can't help without being firsthand and knowing yeah. what we do. Yeah. Um, but our son spent three months here, him and his um, fiance before they just had a baby not long ago. So they spent three months here to really be absorbed and know what it was all about. Our daughter usually visits three times a year, but... Oh. Obviously, she hasn't been no. here since last Christmas, so it's been a bit of a strange year. But, yeah, um, they are very involved. They they understand it all. They're very proud of what we do. They make me proud every day. Oh, but it's lovely that they're involved. I, I, I just love that, um, you know, I think they'd be more proud of you, but um, I just love that it's because uh, sometimes someone in the family can be really involved in something and the others are kind of like, nah, yeah take it or leave it but but mm. when everybody's involved like that it's um you can talk about it you know you can grow together you can you can discuss ideas and it's you know that's what your christmas dinner is you know talking about what it we're going to do next yeah and mm -hmm. it's it's you know that's that's where all the ideas come from you know all those sort of gathering i think it's i think it's bloody wonderful where well, you're obviously doing something right because 64 houses is um you know that that's a massive effort. Not not to mention the rest of the stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it all again because it's blown my mind. Right, <laughs> sixty four houses, fifty three toilets, twenty seven wells, and and employing the um six full time staff and one hundred ninety nine bikes and twenty six kids. I, I'm just sort of I just love these figures. I'm a bit of a figure person, but that that's just um why the water wells like why the water wells and toilets because um well of course I know why but um mm. uh you know don't they have them or d doesn't the government help them or you know like is uh when you build a house is there a toilet. Like, do they share communal toilets? Like, what's the situation with water and toileting? Well, initially we just built a house and we were like, well, that's nice, but, you know, they don't even have a toilet and where do they get their water from? Mm. So now every time we build a house, we try, if they don't have a toilet or they don't have a well, put one in. Yep. So well, wells are a little bit different because there are a lot of organisations here that put wells in. Yeah. You know, to be honest, it's not that hard to put a well in. You know, you just pretty much pay the man the money and he digs your well for you. Yeah. So 
that part, you know, why wouldn't you do that if you could? Yeah. And obviously, you know, toilets are so important. Mm. Like we have a five-step thing actually about toilets and it's about disease. You know, there is actually a fly that breeds on human excrement yeah. that actually can make you go blind. Oh, so wow. if you're just if you're just pooping on the ground, you know, you, you're prone to getting this disease. And the Cambodians don't really have toilets, mm. which which just kind of amazed me, you know. It, but it's also a space for a girl to bathe in. Yeah. So otherwise they're bathing outside around the well if they have one or down by the river. Mm. And how dangerous is that for a teenage yep. girl? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a girl. I would... I couldn't think of anything worse than having to do that. So that was that was kind of my mm. my thoughts behind it. You know, that was personal. I I didn't want girls to have to, you know, be out in the open. And we've had we've built some toilets for some young girls and and a house, and they are way more excited about the toilet than they are <laughs> about the house. <laughs> Just because they can go in there and it's private and they can lock the door. Yeah, that's right. It's dignity, isn't it? You can't put a price on it dignity. Is. It's um. Mm. Wow. It's, so what were they using for to- – what, what are they – where do they go to the toilet? Is it just dig a hole or is it um, in oh. by the rivers and getting into the rivers? And, yeah. Yeah. Not even dig a hole usually, yeah. just in the bush. Yeah. And, you know, the, yeah, government doesn't really supply. I can't say too much on that, but government yeah. doesn't really supply too much like that here. Mm. There's not a lot of infrastructure with things like that. Yeah. But we do work with government officials, so we work with village chiefs and stuff. And so at the minute we're building 20 toilets wow. um, throughout throughout villages that we're working with commune chiefs to do that through a grant that we got through yeah. um, Reese Plumbing. And so, yeah, that that's just a really big push. We decided this year let's really push for toilets and – the guy that donates our slabs from every house is a plumber and he helped us get the grant. So, yeah, pretty amazing. Wow. That, yeah, well, so I'm just thinking about Reese Plumbing. You know, it only takes one organisation, doesn't it, to give you mm-hmm. one little hand up, you know, and, yep. and it can make a difference to so many people. And, yeah, anyway, uh, I, I want to talk about the wells because I could just talk mm. about uh, there's so many corporations out there that um, – you know, would be nothing to take, you know, twenty, fifty thousand off the top of their thing, you know, just to mm. save so many lives. But anyway, it's a hard hard slog trying to get some from some of them. But but having said that, there's a hell of a lot of really, really generous uh, corporations that are doing great great stuff. There certainly mm. is. Yeah. But with the um wells, you're saying that they're really easy to put in. Like are they is it is it one per village or it's not one per house, is it? Like you just No, we actually do one per house. Oh, because really? the cost of a well is not that much money. It's only like US um $150, Really? So yeah, because Siam Reap is on a water table. So it's really not that hard. And most of the ground is sandy. So they just do it with this little water shoots down. Oh, it's kind of, I guess you have to see it to understand it. But we do have on our YouTube page where you can see stuff like this mm. if you if you want to, you know, dig a little deeper into it. But, yeah, it's basically we just get a, a guy out. He comes out for two days. The first day he drills the well down into the water table and the next day he comes and puts the pump on in a concrete slab and Bob's your uncle, you're done. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I have seen the pictures of it. I've seen like, a, um, you know, the kids pulling this lever kind of thing, you know, you know, all the yes. water coming out. It looks um, and it's that's all it costs one hundred and sixty bucks. That's a, that yes. US. That's incredible. We we put them in in um, Africa, and they're you know like two and a half thousand Australian, but mm. so um, what's about eighteen hundred or something US? But it's yeah. it's a it's a lot. You know, like it's a lot more to be. Um, it's not as easy job as as what you're saying, but exactly. But yeah. 160 bucks. So that's a, works out to be about 200, 220 Australian guys. If there's anyone else yeah. out listening and you want to start, just give like just give 200 bucks, you know, to to do a well. That's a bloody lifesaver. So you know, mm. think about that because that's such a such a cheap way to help. How much do the toilets cost to build? Ah, uh, they are 500 US. Still, that's that's not much. <laughs> that's not much, is it? No. Yeah, because that's it's not you know it's not just a toilet. Like we said, it's a place to bathe and and stuff as well. And the whole the whole family, so. but particularly particularly the girls getting their privacy mm. is massive. Yeah, yeah, that's well, that's mm. not that much to um help you. Out. You would you do you and do you take specific donations if somebody contacts you and says I want to give two hundred bucks for or whatever it is, two fifty. I I'd I'd say two fifty guys because there's always extra little um bits and pieces that you know that uh you're not ready for. So if you know okay, so you take the money. Guys, give some money. Good. Great. There you are done. That's <laughs> <Thank> it. <you. laughs> That's easy. That's easy. Yeah, I know. It's not that much, is it? I mean look, I know I know there's a lot of um uh, you know, everyone's struggling in COVID, but you know, uh, there's still mm. people with money and everyone's listening to this who got two hundred and fifty. Just buddy, you know, give it a crack and know that you've put in a well for a family. That's amazing. I think that's amazing. Anyway, moving on because otherwise I'm just gonna start being a salesperson. <laughs> I can't sell shit for myself. But you know, I'm good at. I'm the same. Yeah, I'm fantastic at selling for other people. So um, now, I hope you're going to come back to telling us about your life as a youngster. You, was there something there? Have you are you saving that for a particular spot? No. <laughs> Do I need to? Oh no, no. I thought you said you you'd go go into that later, but no. If you don't want to share oh. it, don't share it. But yeah, yeah. No, I I I guess I just had. I don't know. I've had a. A very interesting past. Um, I had fantastic parents and I was really lucky and I didn't see that in many kids that I grew up with. Um, My parents were great mentors to me, but I had a very tragic thing happen from the age of 12 to the age of 16 and I won't mention that now, but that's something that made me a much stronger person Mm. and made me that person that went to that job interview, even though I didn't know how to do it. Mm. Um, Because from that, I believed I could do anything. If I could stand up to that person, I could do whatever I, um, whatever I wanted in my life. Mm. And so I never sat back after that. Um, I also have this amazing husband that I have to say that is there for me whenever I need him and me the same. So I guess, you know, to some extent I rely on him a lot too. Um, But I am a strong, very strong woman that um, I can do anything that I want. Mm, I love that. It's a shame that um, it's often the way, isn't it, that there's an adverse situation in your life, you know, that that it takes that to to, for us to realise how amazing we are. You know, and it's and it's mm. a shame that sometimes that has to happen. But I'm bloody glad that you've um, been able to see the silver lining. Do you you know and and use it 
to make a better, a much better world and to, and to believe in yourself too. I think that's, you know, something lacking in a lot of people that believing mm. it. Well, well, if you, if you, you know, I can do anything, I'm brave, you know, I'm big and strong and which is fantastic that you're thinking like that. But as I said before, um, Cambodia is, has got a negative, you, you know, like, oh my God, it's scary and all that sort of stuff. Although it's getting better now and a lot of people say, it's mm. a great, you know, like it's switched around. But there are still a lot of people with that fear. So did you have any fear um, when you decided we'll move to Cambodia or thinking about it? Were you thinking, oh, yeah, but well, I'm a bit scared? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was kind of a natural progression and I didn't even really think about it at first. But the one of the biggest fears was not really just coming to Cambodia was leaving the security of a country that looks after you, you know, like in Australia, we have this great backup plan. Mm. You know, if something goes wrong, the government gives you money, you know, they, they help you survive and they help you with your medical costs. And, you know, they help you with a lot of stuff that we don't get help for here. Mm. So, we left all that basically I guess in the back of our mind we still know that we could go home even during this COVID like it it was it's really hard for us to get home now but if we really 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 wanted to we probably could work it and the government would probably loan us money to make that happen but you don't have any of that back up here Mm. so the, the other fear was leaving our families you know you your backup is your family you know that's that that's the people that you rely on like we said before that's what you talk about at your christmas table Mm. you know they're the the people that keep you going you know when you have a bad day your family's there for you your friends are there for you we left all of that yeah um and then basically we had to start again you know we knew nobody here well we did we knew a few like um khmer here but we really didn't have any western friends here we only really until this year when COVID hit that I started making friends with other westerners <laughs> because I really wanted to absorb ourselves into what we were doing yeah um but partly I have to give credit to our kids like they were the ones that said why are you still in Australia <laughs> if you don't want to be here <laughs> why don't you just go and so that kind of kicked us off the bench you know mm. like get out go and do your thing and you know they were old enough to take care of it themselves and by us leaving help them to have their own lives as well yeah. I think you know so we weren't just in their pocket all the time worried about what they were doing and so we all grew from it and yeah, there's fear. There's fear every single day. Mm. You know, what happens if we can't do what we say that we're going to do? Yeah. What happens if donations run out and we can't help anybody anymore yeah. and there's all these people relying on us? So you can let that fear get to you. You know, it's a big responsibility. Yeah. And you, you can just let that fear get to you and then just do nothing. But how will that be helping? I don't, yeah. I have this, like going back to your Mother Teresa quote, I have this favourite saying and it's a, it's a song actually and it's I looked for a leader but then I realised that the leader was me. Yeah, yeah. So if I don't get out and do it, who is going to get out and do it? Yep. You know, yep. so so the fear, yeah, it just outweighs the fear. Yeah. 
Yeah, it does. It is yeah. what it is. I think that too. And I think that if you've got your own set of problems and worries, the best thing to, to overcome that is to serve somebody else, is to help somebody else. And it just, mm-hmm. it's the quickest way to get to get rid of all that. It becomes bigger than you, you know, and you just keep going. But I, it's, I like that, that song. I always think there's also another saying that's saying, and I thought somebody should do something about that. And then I realised, mm. oh. Hang on, I am somebody. <laughs> yes, and it's that's right. And the thing I want to point out here is talking about just being somebody. Um, you know, you didn't have well, apart from Gary having a few little, you know, building skills, but you didn't have. Mm. You'd never run a charity. You know, you you, you were going into Mm-mm. a strange country, um, building infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. And I want to point out here, you know, a lot of people have dreams to do things like this or, you know, to, to start any project, which is exactly why I'm doing Get Off The Bench podcast and writing the book and God knows what, is that we, we think that we have to have all our ducks in a row, you know, and I have to have all the skills and all the education and mm. all the qualifications, but you don't. You just have to have a passion and a willingness to, to start messy and, and just to learn as you go. And you can you can create magic in the world just by giving it a, just starting, putting one foot down and going for it. You can create magic and save lives. And don't be scared to make mistakes. Yeah. You learn from mistakes. Well, we all make mistakes anyway, don't we? Like, exactly. I think why we're, we're so afraid to make mistakes. But every we look at our past, every single one of us has screwed up that many damn times and we actually survived. Do you, you know, so... Mm-hmm. so who gives a toss what if you if you screw it up in the future? But give it a go because when you get to your deathbed, you're not going to look back and go, oh, yeah, but I was safe. I, I didn't make a mistake. Mm. You're not going to do that. You're going to go, damn it, why didn't I give that a crack? And that's you exactly. really are. Well, speaking of um, uh, changing people's lives and, you know, helping others and that, you, you're employing the six chemo. Khmer, I always say Khmer and you say Khmer, but for everyone mm. listening, it's exactly same. the same thing. But you yeah. employ um, six staff. and ha- So how does, of course I know the answer, but um, I don't know the intricacies. So tell us about that. Like, How does that help them by you employing them, apart from the obvious? All right. So first I'll explain about our staff, if that's okay. Yeah. So our six Khmer staff all come from impoverished backgrounds. Yeah. So they are the people that we are helping. They have been in that situation. So, for example, Mm. one of our staff, we actually met her when we were building her house. Yeah. And then we went to uh, profile her and get some information and stuff, and she spoke really good English. And then I was like, why don't you have a job? Mm. She said, I don't know how to get a job. I don't have a resume. I'm I I went to a few places, but without a resume, no one will give me a job. Mm. And so I said, then and there, without anyone else's permission, would you like a job? Ah, (laughs) good on you. (laughs) And she said yes. (laughs) And so she came to work for us, basically. So um, obviously can't do that with everybody. But, yeah, they've lived it. They've been there. They know what it's like. So when we're dealing with very hard situations – they know how to approach that Mm. situation. So none of them um, had been to university. I think our highest level was year 12. Um, Peep, our business manager, had done year 12. 
And she's actually now doing a certificate in business online through Ignite Education, which is a place back in Australia that does that type of thing. So um, she will come out of this with a qualification as well, which is pretty awesome. Mm. But really by offering full-time employment, you're actually, you know, at the minute Cambodians live on day-to-day. Yeah. So they make money, they buy what they need. They make money the next day, they buy what they need. The next day they don't make any money, they go fishing. Yeah. That's how they live. So if you can give them a regular monthly amount of money, a regular salary, then they can start to plan stuff. Mm. They can start to buy their own home. You know, they can start to educate their children better. Yep. So, for example, now it's COVID-19 now. Mm. We we live in a tourist town. So I think the rate I saw today was our tourism has dropped by 98%. Wow. That's massive. So every tuk-tuk driver that drove a tuk-tuk before doesn't have any work. So Tan, our project manager that worked for us, he was a tuk-tuk driver. And when we offered him a full-time job, he was really hesitant because it's not something that they're used to doing. They don't know how to do that. You know, they just work every day, but they don't actually think, you know, of coming to work at certain hours and stuff like that because he was a tuk-tuk driver, you know, very different to what he was used to. So now if he was still being a tuk-tuk driver, he would be the family that we're helping. He would be the one that we're giving rice to once a month Mm. because he has no way of supporting his family. And then three of our other girls that work for us worked in the restaurant or hotel industry. All of the restaurants and hotels that they worked for are now closed. Mm. So if we didn't employ them four years ago when they started with us, they wouldn't have any work now. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to feed their kids. They wouldn't be in the position that they're in now. Now they're helping their families that don't have work, feeding them. We've got one one of our staff has her brother and sister and brother-in-law and their kids all living with them in the house because they can't afford a house anymore. Wow. So, you know, never underestimate what giving a monthly salary can do because mm. that's, that's huge. That's massive, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And we fought we fought really hard not to lose any of our staff when this all hit, you know, and donations slowed down and but thanks to our amazing sponsors, we we're we're getting there and we're doing it. Mm. No, I think it's fantastic. And just um on those houses too, I'm just thinking about something else that when you say, you know, now they've got their own houses and everything else. But those houses are quite small, aren't they? Like how big is the houses that you build? I'm coming back to that because I'm thinking I don't want mm. people thinking that if they pay 1600 US, they're buying a four bedroom house. That like that, oh, no. no, so no, I did say they were simple, but like um just we, anyway, you can guys, you can get onto Instagram under Heartprint and Heartprint Cambodia and have a look. But then, but you can just tell us they're only one room, aren't they? Um, they yeah, are. Yeah. yeah, it's it's basically a cubby house on stilts. Yeah, they're depending on the size of the land that we're building on. Normally, they would be four meters by five meters. Yeah, but we have literally built a house that was three meters by three meters because that's how big their land was. Wow. So. Yeah, so it just it, it we kind of every house is individual. Yeah. We don't make them the same. I grew up in a housing commission estate. I li- I lived in a house that looked like every other house in the street. Yeah, same. I don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> so you understand, yeah, you yeah, get it. Yeah. So, so yeah, every house is the same, you know, where they get to choose where they want the door, where they want the windows, where they want the little balcony that we put on. But basically it is, it's just a cubby house. But, you know, when you're living under a tarp or a piece of tin yeah. or some twigs, you know, it's like a mansion. Yeah. Well, we know that every kid, every kid that has a cubby house, you know, under blankets and then they get one of those good ones in their backyard. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty special, pretty, pretty special. But Exactly. But, yeah. Yeah, so it goes, it's not a four-bedroom house or a two-bedroom house, but it's it, the fact no. is it's a, it's a home and, and that's the important thing. So, and I love, I love what you're doing with the staff. And are you based in a, a specific area? So do you only service CM Rip or are there, do you expand out to other areas of Cambodia? or how does it how does it work your reach so mostly we are just in Siam Reap so Siam Reap is like the second uh largest amount of poverty in Cambodia so part of the reason we're based here and even more so now obviously um we do reach out to about 20 minutes out of town when we build usually normally However, like we do, if we have a need, we will go as far as a toilet that we're building now is an hour and a half drive out of town. Yeah. So, and that's just for a toilet. Um, but normally, yeah, we would be within that probably about 30 kilometer, uh, thirty minute radius of the town. Yeah, yeah. The hard part is people at the minute actually have to own their own land for us to be able to build or... Mm it's a lot harder for us if they don't. And there's different types of land that you can buy here too. So our hands are tied a little bit, honestly. You know, sometimes I think we're maybe not helping the neediest of the needy, but sometimes that's not a bad thing either because we're helping families that can help themselves and we know will continue to help themselves. So our, our whole um, mojo I guess you might call it is not just helping build a house and leaving them yeah. it's actually helping them to grow as a family and get out of the situation that they're in yeah we mm. do we within the town like within our community so within like a 15 minute drive of our community we do social support program yeah I don't know if you've seen that either so that's like a it's like workshops where the family come. So once a month they come to this workshop and the workshop would be on like health and hygiene. It might be on addiction problems. It might be on education, how to be a good parent. You know, yeah. like you have to remember that Cambodians lost their parents. Mm. So they didn't have any parenting that was passed on. So they're kind of just making stuff up as they go as well. Mm. So uh, so we have these workshop programs and through coming to a workshop, we have 50 families in that workshop wow. program. And by coming to that workshop, they receive a month's worth of rice and food staples yeah. that are keeping them going during yep. COVID. So um, they're all families that need it. Some of those families we've already built houses for and they're still working through the program. Some of them are waiting on houses. Some of them we may never build a house for, but we know that we are able to help them in other ways. Yep. So, yeah, it's not just a one step, build a house, see you later, mm. have a good life. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more involved oh, I love that. that I love that because it and like you say you know yes there are some that are needier but if they're not going to help themselves and I, I'm not being harsh saying that but you mm. know it's 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 really um 
you know, it's about empowering people, isn't it? Because you want them to make their, you want their life to be as sustainable as possible and, and to be empowered to, you know, start to build it themselves. And I mean, that's mm. no point catching a fish and feeding someone. You've got to, you know, teach them to fish and what have mm. you. But oh, I love it. And so um, we talked at the start, we talked about, um, oh, I don't know if we did talk about it. You've got a hope, hope initiative and which has sort mm. of been... Um, uh, you were you were just setting it up, and COVID came and well, COVID's come and taken a slammer out of everything for everyone, isn't it? But yeah, tell tell true. us about that, like because you've got that attached the Hope Initiative that's attached to part of the community centre and the volunteer accommodation. Somehow they all work together. I wasn't very clear on that, but um, what, what's that's... happening with all that? So before COVID hit, we had volunteer accommodation. So we had what we called Heartprint House and volunteers could come and stay there, but it was also a community centre. Yeah. But, you know, we looked at how much we were spending on this volunteer accommodation and said, we can't continue to spend other people's money on something that we don't know when, if ever, we will be able to have volunteers back. Mm. And so we'd already started building the Hope Initiative. Yeah. And that's literally around the corner from where we had our volunteer accommodation. And so we just closed down the volunteer accommodation and the community support centre and moved the community support centre to Hope. And so we just no longer have volunteer accommodation, yeah. which is fine. That, that's okay, but especially not knowing when people will be able to come back. Mm. So the Hope Initiative... Um, is actually up and running now. So we were about to open it as all the restrictions and lockdowns went into place. So we did our lockdown for two weeks. Um, it wasn't mandatory here, but we decided for the health of our staff yeah, yeah. and for everyone else, we should do that. And so we were, all went into lockdown for two weeks. And after 10 days, the staff started calling me and saying, can we please come back to work? We miss work. We don't know what to do. <laughs> So, yeah, so after the two weeks, we um, we completely finished the HOPE initiative and our next stage to that, which I'll delve into a little bit later, was a cafe, but um, we actually opened that earlier to try and help us get some funds in as well to start being able to run a lot of the programs mm. and stuff that we're running there. Yeah. So, um, so what is the HOPE initiative? Is it a, what's the function of it? Like it's a building okay. of that it does is, yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so we built the Hope Initiative. It's actually an integration centre for children and adults with special needs. Oh, fantastic. So with intellectual disabilities. Yep. So when we were building houses, we kept finding that these families had kids with Down syndrome and autism and stuff, and they didn't leave the house mm. the whole time that we were there. And so our, two of our staff members are, are married and they have a daughter that has Down syndrome, yep. Panya. And so we've known Panya now for five, six years. And we've seen what she's gone through and how it's like for her to live in a country like Cambodia mm. with Down syndrome. Yeah. And it's not great. Yeah. And and so we started asking more questions. Why are these kids always locked in the house, you know? And because, sadly, they're of Buddhist faith here and Buddhists believe that if you have a child with a disability, it's because you did something wrong in your past life. Yeah. 
Mm. They're embarrassed by the fact, you know, it's it's not a good thing if you have a child that has a disability. Mm. So I I couldn't stand that. I I I just couldn't live with that. How do you how do you have this kid that's bright and funny and like Panya, she's so smart, but she has Down syndrome. So what? Mm. You know, in Australia when you have Down syndrome, you're just a regular part of the community. Yeah. So I started to look for organisations that could help us. You know, where can we put these kids? Is there some programs that we can put them into? Can we put them into a school? What can we do? And there wasn't anything. And I couldn't find anything at all. So I sat down with my husband, who knows I'm insane, (laughs) and I said, I want to change this. What can we do? And so we worked on a plan. And so we built the HOPE initiative. So basically it's an integration centre and um, kids can come there. Well, when we're talking kids, I'm talking like 14 and up mostly, although we do have some kids that are younger. Um, But they can come and they can learn to sew. They can learn to do woodwork. You know, they can learn all creative arts. Um, We have dance classes. And so in each class we have a ratio of four to one. One child with intellectual disabilities and four of their peers because we could just build a center that was just for kids with intellectual disabilities but how would the community then know what these kids could do Mm. so by including four of their peers in every class they're now interacting they think it's normal Mm. that a kid with intellectual disabilities can do everything so that's our hope of how we're going to change things in the future that's fantastic so yeah so we do we have these amazing workshops we have these amazing kids that turn up it's it's been slow to start with at the minute we're only reaching out to about two or three kids but we know that's going to grow because as people hear about it more you know more people are starting to say oh my nephew has that or oh this this boy down the road has that or or whatever so um so that's part of what the Hope Initiative does. We also run an All Minds Matter program. Yeah. And that's like a cancelling service. So people can access cancelling services, which is really also very hard to do here. They don't believe in um, in mental health. Um, mm. And there's there's not really many facilities for that. For that. So we work with a cancelling service here. And um, we have a guy that's got schizophrenia that has regular um, cancelling sessions we have families that just suffer from depression, PTSD, you know, from the past that's happened here. So mm. we work in group sessions and um, and um, one-on-one counselling sessions to help them. And then, like I said, we have the cafe, which um, eventually we hope will be an employment opportunity for kids with special needs. Mm. So they'll be able to work into, you know, being a waitress or even if it's just washing dishes, you know, just showing people that they can be employed mm. and a valuable part of society yeah. and then hopefully, you know, interact them into um, other cafes and stuff here as well that will take them on board. Oh, that's fantastic. One of my – the last thing, <laughs> and I know I talk about – I'm pretty passionate about this. Yeah, sorry. I know. I love it. No, it's um, good. The last thing we do is a youth group. So we have a gender-based 10-week program and the same, it's open to kids with intellectual disabilities as well. 
And um, for 10 weeks, we have a bong shui, which means big sister, and bong prop, which means big brother. And they do a 10-week program that works on self-esteem, learning new things, keeping a journal, um, just getting them to open up about their life situation that they're living in. And wow. they are all from those 50 families that we work with and a little bit broader range than that as well and then after they finish their 10-week program they go on to do the duke of ed uh international award yeah, i don't know yeah. if you know much yeah, about yeah, that yeah, yeah. so they can com- um, complete their bronze medallion silver medallion gold medallion mm. and um that's basically just to open them up to the world and let them have opportunities that they might not um otherwise get mm. wow so yeah that's the hope initiative. <laughs> wow, yeah, but it's like that's you know heart print. Like it's um it's not just you know building some houses because that's where I first saw you. You know I first saw mm. a house and thought wow this is fantastic. But <clears throat> and I knew half of what you're saying. But I you know there's all that other stuff you've just said. But that is um it's just evidence, isn't it? That you if you got the right intent and you just want to keep making a difference, it, there's no end to it, is there? Just it's true. Mm. Yeah, it just keeps growing. Yeah, it does. And well, how has how Heartprint helped you as a person? Like, how do you think it's changed you or grown you? It's changed me a lot, really, I guess. Um, I've become a lot calmer, a lot more patient than I was. You, you have to be when you're dealing with people that don't speak English as their first language. Yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of communication breakdowns and stuff. So it's, it's made me better at communicating. Yeah. It's made me a, mo- a lot more resilient. Like I've only cried once during this interview and normally I would cry many times. So. <laughs> but it's also, it's also helped me ask a lot of questions, you know, like dig a lot deeper than I used to. I used to just see everything on face value. But now I know to help the right people, I have to, I have to dig a lot deeper than that. You know, I have to make sure that these are the people that want to help themselves. Because yeah. otherwise I'm just wasting donors' money. And that, that doesn't sit very well with me. Yeah. So, yeah, so I have. I've, I've grown a lot and I'm, I'm not scared to do anything anymore. I love it. Well, I'll tell you what, you can slide into your grave. I don't want to bring that on early, but, uh, you know, <laughs> knowing that you've, um, you know, uh, lived a full life and, and made a one hell of a difference to people and, and made a better world, you know, that's just, um, I think it's, it's bloody fantastic. I always just say that. It's bloody fantastic. That should be my mantra, but I genuinely mean it. I just think um, it's incredible. So, wow. And so, all right, so I, I talked about the funds before. So you people can donate. Um, so I'm just thinking about how people support you. They can go to your website, um, and mm-hmm. which will say, um, I think it's heartprint org.au i'll get to that again in a minute but they can just go there and is there a donate button or something on there or yeah there is and and you can just click on the donate button and on our website uh throughout the different pages it'll actually tell you ways you can support us and how much it costs so how much a house costs how much a toilet costs and then even the programs that we run at hope you know you can support one of those so whatever is passionate to you Mm. that's what I believe you should donate to so we don't just say give us a donation so part of our donation is when you click on donate and you put in how much you want to donate you can actually say there what you want your donation to go to so we make sure we put it to the right place where you want because that's what you're passionate about yeah yeah 
Oh, love that. Love, love that. Well, I'm going to tell, I'm going to go through your website and all that sort of stuff in a minute where we can find you. This has been bloody awesome. I just um, absolutely love people like you. I bloody do. You know, I said that to you in the first place. My God, I love this. I want to interview you, you know, and you're like, no way. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yeah, but see, you've enjoyed it, haven't you? (laughs) I have enjoyed it. Thank you. You're you're very easy to get along with. (laughs) Yeah, I told you that. Anyway, I knew you would have a ball because, um, you know, it's, it's just like getting on the telephone, having a conversation. But... Now, this podcast um, that you were so scared of is about um, inspiring people to get off the bench. So, you know, personal, community, business, whatever. And um, so because there there are some people who want to build a community project or a not-for-profit and don't know where to start and a bit scared of starting, you know, because uh, of all the bits and pieces that you have to put together. But I still say start messy and find out because when I started my um, not-for-profit, I had no idea how to do that, how to do a not-for-profit. So, but I still did it. So what advice would you give to somebody who's like, you know, maybe even someone similar to you that they've seen things in the travels and thought, God, I could do so much more to help and that kind of stuff, Um, but they're not qualified, don't have the skills. What advice would you give to them? I tell everyone every day that everyone can leave heart prints. You you know, it doesn't have to be anything big. Start small. Mm -hmm. We started small. We started with one house and we thought that that would be it, you know, and 64 houses later, we're still here. (laughs) So... Anyone can. You just have to not be scared to do it. You have to just put yourself out there and actually do it. And, you know, maybe just start by doing something nice for your neighbour. My Mm. daughter, who's stuck back in Australia, who travels a lot, I might add, so she was like, well, what can I do to help while I'm stuck here? She started bringing in the neighbour, the old guy next door, his paper because it was hard for him to walk out the front to get the paper and she'd put it on his doorstep every day. That's a heart print. You know, it doesn't have to be something huge, but if you start small, it'll grow into something big because you'll get more and more comfortable with doing it. You know, have you ever bought a pay it forward coffee at a cafe or something like that? Okay, well, that was, that's, that's leaving a heart print. Mm. So if you start like that, the first time you do it, you're kind of a bit awkward about it. You know, like, oh, should I do that? I don't know. People might, you know, think I'm a bit weird or, you know, I'm a bit out there or something or maybe I'm a bit crazy. But, <laughs> you know, if you do that the first time, the next time it gets easier and the next time it gets easier. And it, it until it just is a thing that you just do every day without even realising that you're doing it. Mm. And if you don't know how to do it you don't know where to start look me up because i'd be more than happy to help anyone set up what they're doing i actually have set up a few other places with people in other countries that were inspired by what we did and you know started asking questions how did you do this Mm. but know know the legal requirements of the country you're going to work in and know the legal requirements of the country you're in as well do it properly don't yeah. just don't just go out and think I can do this because you do actually have to do a bit of background work on what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. And and that's great advice and but the other thing is don't just 
all just go emailing Wendy saying, can you set this up for me? And uh, no, you've got to do your own bloody work. You've, yes, you've got to, you, you do. Know, you have to do your own background work and you have to do the the um, take action yourself and everything else. But it's nice to know that, um, you, you know, people like yourself are willing to give guidance, to, you know, and, and support mm. people and um, to say, well, you need to think about this and you need to think about that because um, someone who's already done it like you knows that there are things you do need to look at that probably wouldn't even cross the mind of somebody else mm. that's never been there. So, no, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? So, like website, Facebook, Insta, all those things, what are you under? Yeah, yeah. So all the social medias, um, Facebook, Instagram, please give us a like, all that sort of stuff, you know, share our stuff. That's what gets our name out there. And people feel comfortable with other people. You know, if you recommend something, if you say, oh, this is a good restaurant, more chance that your friend is going to go to that restaurant. Yeah. So if if you tell people about how great we are, more chance they're going to come across to us. Yeah. That's what we need you to do. So, yeah, you can find us on Facebook. Um, we're just under Heartprint, Heartprint at Heartprint Cambodia, I believe it is. Yeah. And on Instagram, Heartprint underscore Cambodia. Yeah. Or go to our website because that will give you all the links as well. And our website's heartprint.org.au. Mm, fantastic and I agree with you it's just it's word of mouth really isn't it you know because I'm terrible with my um marketing and all that kind of stuff yeah. but but word of mouth is 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 brilliant well well I'm already telling people how good you are so that's a good start isn't it it is thank you <laughs> <It's a> pleasure <laughs> now everyone can listen to this so it's um good well I have absolutely loved having you on and it's um so I'm so happy to give you airtime. I think that you know what you're doing deserves to be heard by more people, and um, you know what you're doing it will inspire people to you know maybe not set up a not-for-profit in another country, but um, at least at least believe that that the actions that they can they take can actually change people's lives, and you know that that's 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 massive. So. I so appreciate um, everything you've done and I really appreciate you giving your time today, you know, to, to do this interview and share your story. Well, I so appreciate you for giving <laughs> me this opportunity and for talking me through it because, like we said, I wasn't that comfortable with this, but you actually helped me get off the bench for this one. So um, I, I'm really thankful for that and I encourage anyone that um, – that you want to interview, please go ahead and do it because, yes, you have made me very comfortable through the process and I thank you and all your listeners for helping us share the word. Oh, I'm sure they're going to be loving it too. It's And my pleasure, you know, it is uh, it is daunting. It is kind of like, oh, do you want to do an interview? And it's like, oh, I'm scared, but it's not scary. And it's just, it's such a beautiful way. And it's not, it's not about selling either. It's not about, oh, I'll give you airtime so you can sell your product. Mm. It's about... um sharing a story and I think it, that's what we're craving at the moment is stories you, you know and and just understanding people and having more compassion and using story to build empathy through the world and you know it's uh, what, what better way than a podcast with great guests exactly <laughs> <laughs> uh, well it's early in the morning over there in Cambodia so and it's um my I don't know mid-afternoon or something like that so I'll let you go and have the rest of your day but I am so so uh, thankful that you joined us and um, I, I hope everybody supports you thank you my pleasure thank you 
All right, I'll catch up with you soon. Okay, sounds great. Thank you so much, Karen. Okay, see ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, guys, how's that? That is fantastic. I love what Wendy's doing. Wendy and Gary, they're just, you know, it takes a lot of courage, really, doesn't it, to just um, head off, pack up all your stuff here and head off to another country. And, you know, I know that um, I, I think when you're passionate about something that makes it a bit easier, but what are, what are wonderful things to be doing? And I love that she's, you know, really focused on... Um, you know, making sure that the houses go to people who are going to, uh, you know, empower themselves or, or and that they're learning new skills to make their lives better. I think this is just bloody fantastic. And, and like she says, she didn't know what she was doing. So, you know, if you've got something that you're thinking about doing, just, just start somewhere because you never know what can lead to. And if you want to donate, just go to their um, website, heartprint.org.au and hit the donate button. And, you know, even at the cheapest, just dig in a water well. That's fantastic. You know, for just like, I don't know, 220, 250 bucks or something like that. It's just, it's just brilliant. Anyway, the point of all this is I, I really want to share this story because um, it just so easily, so easily we can make a difference. Well, I'm not going to say it's easy work, but, the, but you, you can get into it easily it's easier than you think so anyway again I can bang on and on and on and on for ages but uh, I'll leave it there thanks for joining me I really appreciate you um, checking in every week and um, I really hope that we're getting some traction and uh, starting to inspire you you know to to say you know what I really can do it so I'll leave you with this thought leave you with um, Wendy's amazing project and catch up with you next week okay see ya Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.